Successful circular businesses compete on value, convenience, choice and quality. And they're better for people and planet. Hello and welcome to the Circular Economy podcast, where we find out how circular approaches are better for people, planet and profit. I'm Catherine Wheatman of Rethink Global, and I'll be chatting with those people making the circular economy happen. Rethinking how we design, make and use everything. We'll talk to entrepreneurs and business owners, social enterprises and leading thinkers. You'll find the show notes, links and transcripts at circulareconomypodcast.com where you can subscribe to updates and our fortnightly edition of Circular Insights. It's episode 65. Welcome back to the Circular Economy podcast. And if this is your first episode, I hope you enjoy the show. Today, we're talking to Charlotte Morley, who grew up being an advocate for sustainability and found becoming a parent was a watershed moment. The fear of an uncertain future drove Charlotte to make big changes in the way she lived. But when it came to dressing her children, she couldn't find a satisfactory solution to the waste that rapidly growing many humans create. Hand-me-downs were haphazard and offered no choice. Buying new, then trying peer-to-peer resale was incredibly time-consuming and didn't recover much of the original cost. Charlotte was intrigued by how to incentivise children's clothing brands to create garments that would last. Shocked by the problems of underused clothing and frustrated by the lack of convenient solutions, she decided to solve the problem by working with children's clothing brands to create a rental service, The Little Loop. Charlotte drew on her background in retail and technology and set out to build a solution offering maximum convenience, choice, quality and value, at the same time ensuring each garment lives its full potential life. Charlotte founded her business while working as head of digital product at Not On The High Street and now runs The Little Loop full-time. She describes it as both the biggest risks she's ever taken and the best thing she could imagine doing for her children's future. The Little Loop works hand-in-hand with brands who take a share of the rental revenue, sharing responsibility for the lifespan of the garments and receiving data to help improve their production standards. Charlotte's business is already winning awards, including from Marie Claire and Junior Magazine, and was featured in The Guardian last month. Let's hear from Charlotte, and as usual, I'll catch up with you afterwards to share what I took away from our conversation. Charlotte, welcome to the Circular Economy podcast. Catherine, hello. It's great to see you on the other end of a a Zoom call. And before we get into the detail of how you started The Little Loop, perhaps you could just give us a quick overview of how it all works. The Little Loop is the the UK's first shared wardrobe for kids, which essentially means um, a rental um, service for children's clothing, which we've designed to try to um, improve the environmental impact of children's clothing whilst also improving the process for parents and just making life easier, more convenient, more cost effective and, and guilt free, actually, relative to the kind of standard linear 
uh, method of purchasing children's clothes. Mm, I love that phrase, the shared wardrobe. That's, I really like that. So how did all of this start? What what brought you to starting this business? Um, 95% of the time we make our decisions based on instinct. So we're only kind of 5% rational beings. And that's something which definitely I've, in retrospect, recognised applies to myself. So to change our habits is not an easy thing. Um, it's not easy to change instinct. Um, and it takes big life-changing events for us to change our habits. And what happened to me was I had a child, and I think this happens an awful lot. Um, a lot of businesses do get formed when people have children, and that's why. It's because when we have children, we shift our habits, we shift the way that we think. And I think for me, although I'd been theoretically a sustainability advocate for years, um, it was having a child that actually made me start to make changes in my life. So the, the biggest and, and the, probably the first thing I did was actually shift to using cloth nappies on my kids. Um, and everybody said, are you crazy? It's going to take so much time. It's going to be horrendous. And actually, this is very topical because the government's just announced a tax on disposable nappies aimed at getting people to use more reusables. And what I discovered very quickly was it wasn't very hard. It wasn't very time consuming. A tiny bit more. I'm not going to lie. Um, it wasn't hideous. And actually, I got a huge amount of pleasure from it because I felt so good about what I was doing. And I realized that actually, if there were more solutions like that out there, um, and and moreover, if it was made to be easy, because I think what's hard about cloth nappies is it seems very daunting, it doesn't seem easy, it doesn't seem like something that you can just do. And that's what puts people off doing it. And um, there's a lot of, of preconception around it. And when I started doing it, I discovered it really was easy. So to cut a very long story short, what I realized was that particularly in the, in the children's wear space, there was a big opportunity to make more sustainable ways of doing things easier and to build a service um, which made being environmentally friendly and being more sustainable, reducing waste, something that actually was a bit of a no-brainer that wasn't only better for the environment, but was better for the parents as well. Um, and it was a real pain point for me that the, the clothing waste thing, I, and I just hadn't even thought about it, how quickly children grow, how much you're going through these clothes. And I used to think it would be a lovely thing to be buying new clothes all the time. Oh, what a great experience, these cute little things. It's so painful. Um, more, more because of getting rid of the old ones. It's just, what, what do you do with them? I felt it was, it was incredibly tedious, time consuming, but it was also very wasteful and I hated it. I would feel genuinely sick every time. So that's that, all of that together is where the little loop came from. And I would sit at night breastfeeding my child, kind of my brain didn't stop racing for months and months. Like, what can I do? How can I fix this? This is broken and it needs to be fixed. And that's that's where it came from. So all those lost lost hours of sleep <laughs> were probably when <laughs> you were germinating the, the business. <laughs> yes, so, yeah, exactly. And you probably didn't know whether it was, you know, would you have slept through that if your brain wasn't already on overtime trying to solve <laughs> all these problems? <laughs> exactly. Yeah, the two things working in perfect harmony. So, um, yeah, and I think the, the kind of um, the, the lack of convenience with reuse we forget about, don't we? As you say, most people do think about the excitement of buying new things and not about the headache of of getting rid of them i was just watching something on um tv last week um you know and yet another decluttering uh, program and you and mm. you kind of see how people have got attached to what seemed to us to be completely illogical things or just haven't got round to getting rid of things because 
what do I do with this? That's I don't really want to just put it in the dustbin because that's wasteful. But everything yeah. else um, requires investment in in more time and that we that we haven't really got. And I think we just accept it as, as this is the status quo. This is what people do. You you just build up stuff and you keep it. And I think we underestimate how detrimental it is to your mental health to have stuff building up and up and to be constantly seeing it because you are in your, especially if you don't live in a huge house, you know, lots of us, particularly if you're living in cities, you're living in flats and things and people have bags and boxes of things on top of wardrobes, underneath beds. It's very bad for your mental well-being because you're subconsciously feeling all the time hemmed in and cluttered and, and you know, I, it's it's been a side um, element to this, you know. It wasn't maybe the core driver, but certainly, and and I am quite a neat freak, <laughs> I'll be <laughs> honest. But I, I do think it's really important to acknowledge that we've accepted that stuff is is what we should have, and actually we don't need stuff. We don't need as much stuff as we have, but because it's so hard to get rid of it, um, you know, we just we just take it. Mm. Yeah, I think there's there's lots of interesting stuff being, um, you know, researched and and. Uh, um, brought to, brought to people's attention in that whole area about um, the the sort of hidden aspects of of stuff and our mental health and so on. Mm. So, could you tell us a bit more about how the little loop works in practice for customers? You know, what what do people do, and um, what kind of clothes and brands and so on? How do pe- how long do people keep things for? Um, talk us through that if you could. Yeah, of course. Um, so we've built the little loop hand in hand with parents and we you know we've spoken to as many parents as we can to build a service which we think is as seamless as possible um as i say i was driven obviously by the environmental sustainability aspect but really also very heavily driven by convenience um and so what we've ended up building is as i said we describe it as a shared wardrobe because the idea is that it's one huge wardrobe in the cloud which you can take items in and out of as and when you need them. You don't have to buy all those things and have them in your house. You simply rent what you need when you need it. And then when you finish with it, you put it back into our shared wardrobe and you take something else. It's as simple as that, really. Obviously, the me- the mechanism for making that work um, is, well, not obviously, the mechanism for making that work is a subscription, a rental subscription. And the subscription gives you access to that wardrobe. So as long as you have a live subscription, you can be taking clothes in and out of the wardrobe as and when you want to. Most parents tend to do it about every three months. They'll choose a new set of clothes. So if their child's grown or if the seasons have changed or they've got bored, because let's face it, we all do get sometimes bored of our clothes and our children do. Um, You know, we have a lot of people who swap because they've got something for their child who said, I'm not going to wear that. And rather than in a purchase scenario where it just then hangs in the wardrobe because you think maybe they'll wear it, maybe, you just send it back and you choose something else. So, so it's it's genuinely as simple as that. Um, a lot of rental services, they kind of insist on you having a set number of clothes and you having it for a set amount of time. From the beginning, I was very keen not to limit our customers in that way. And so we built it in a way that means you can have um, you have a set number of credits which you can spend as you want to on the clothes. So that would mean you could get probably around, say, 10 T-shirts or three coats. You know, it depends on what you need. You can have you can buy more credits to have access to more items of clothes or you can have fewer to have access to fewer items of clothes. So you can use it very flexibly as you want to. Um, And you can hang on to them for as long as you want to or swap them as often as you like. 
Um, and we don't, and I think we'll come on to this later, we don't encourage people to use this like fast fashion. So the idea is not that you're swapping clothes every two weeks because you want a fashion fix. For starters, these are children's clothes and most parents don't want to do that anyway. You know, who's got time? <laughs> um, but obviously this is, a, it is meant to be more sustainable. So it's meant to mimic the natural patterns of purchasing children's clothing. You generally do need to swap clothes about every three months because of the changes in your child. And that's it. Um, yeah, that's pretty much everything. So people send them back in uh, prepaid postage envelopes? Yeah. So when people want to, um, want to return items, they tell us what they want to return. They have a reused. Uh, so we send all our items out in a reusable mail bag. So when they want to send the items back, they put them back into the reusable mail bag. And we can use these bags for 2000 goes. So they're super sustainable. Um, and we give them a label and they stick it on, they send it back to us. So it's, it's very seamless. And then as soon as it gets back, they have their credits to spend again. They choose the new items. We put them back into the same bag and they go back to them. So it's this kind of seamless and, uh, cycle of clothing. And we're actually just changing it um, the, uh, to, to be that you can choose your new items and they're sent to you before you send the old ones back. So it will be completely seamless now. You won't actually have any time without the clothes. Mm. Um, that's It's not launched yet, which is why I described it the old way first. Um, but yeah, again, as I say, we're always talking to parents to find out, you know, what doesn't doesn't work and what constantly iterating to improve the service. Um, the thing I've not mentioned, I suppose, is behind the scenes. So when we get the clothes back, we launder them. We then steam them to additionally sanitize them. Um, we repair anything that needs repairing. We stain remove. We're pretty good now at stain removing. Um, so all the garments are insured against stains and general wear and tear, which means if your kid does spill paint all down the front, it's okay. We'll sort it out. Um, and yeah, sure, that means we do have to occasionally retire garments, but generally we're very good at getting the stains out and we can keep them in circulation. Um, so the clothes that people get are actually cleaner than they would be if they bought them in the shops, because obviously in the shops, people are touching them, trying them on, you know, they're hanging there in a shop full of germs and people coughing, etc. Our clothes are stored um, in, a, in a kind of sanitized environment and they themselves are, are, are very well cleaned. Um, and we can keep the clothes generally in circulation for up to four or five times, uh, so three or four times longer than than if they were just sold once, um, which is over twice. Even if they were kind of resold, it's still we're still keeping them in circulation two or three times longer than if they've been resold. Mm, that's excellent. So a really big impact in terms of carbon saved, water saved, material saved, and so on. Um, exactly, that, it's around about eighty percent of carbon and water saved. Right. Wow, that's amazing. Really, it's you know it's really fundamental improvement, isn't it? That that people can make. We um, really hope so. Yeah, that's yeah. that's certainly the aim, anyway. <laughs> yeah. So, um, and what f from your lessons learned so far? What are the fundamentals that customers won't compromise on, in terms of things like value, quality, style, um, that kind of thing? I mean, I think you've just said them. <laughs> um, I think I mean children's wear is different from other other clothing, but every single parent that we've spoken to has given us the same, what we call our, the hygiene factors. So with children's wear, it has to be high quality. It has to be great value um, and it has to be convenient. Um, and we tend to put style under quality as like a kind of subheading. So for us, quality is comfort, style, washability, um, design, and you know, has it got poppers in the right places, etc. So we put all of that under quality but then value and, and convenience. And, and I think 
I think a lot of people go into sustainable business thinking they just need to be sustainable. And what we learned very quickly and actually kind of knew anyway, but was that you have to meet the hygiene factors before sustainability starts to kick in. Mm. You know, there are very few consumers out there who will buy something just because it's sustainable if it doesn't meet those basic needs. And so that's, you know, that's where we've started. We've tried to meet those three needs before the sustainability then, you know, has it has an opportunity to become a, a benefit, if you like. Mm. Um, and I think it's probably fair to say that there are many other sustainable, certainly children's wear options, which meet all three of those. So there tends to be a compromise somewhere. So like peer-to-peer resale, it's great, but it's not very convenient. It's very time consuming. Um, it's a hassle. Um, you can buy expensive, sustainably, ethically made clothes, which make you feel better because they are being, they're being well made, which is fantastic. And I definitely encourage that if you've got to buy new, but it's expensive. Mm. Uh, and actually on a sustainable perspective, it's only sustainable if those clothes are then reused. So you're then entering back into resale, et cetera. Yeah. So, you know, we're trying to tick all three of those boxes as well as the sustainability. Yeah, and I think it all comes back to convenience, doesn't it? As you said, even if you're buying the high quality clothes, you've still got the hassle of trying to find a good reuse route for those afterwards Um, and having tried to buy a few things myself on um, eBay I'm a big Patagonia um, Mm -hmm. clothes fan and in Mm -hmm. America they have their worn wear site Mm -hmm. so everything you know is genuine you know that the condition is going to be x or whatever Um, you know however it's been specified but they don't offer that in Europe so you have to just kind of take your chances on eBay. Yeah, exactly. And it, it always feels so haphazard. It's something that I um, experienced myself a lot when I was younger and also when I first had kids. I was like, right, I want to go and get something secondhand. I've never been particularly bothered about secondhand. I've always been very keen on secondhand. And I'm just going through it now with school uniform for my daughter. And I was like, how hard can it be to find some secondhand green checked summer dresses? Incredibly difficult is the answer. And I think it's that Hap has a nature of, you know, you know what you want and you know you can go to eBay or Vinted or Spock and you know, plugging all of these things because I think they're fantastic, but you can't guarantee you're going to find them. Mm. And I think that was the other thing that we wanted to be able to do was offer a service where people came and it felt like shopping because we had these fantastic brands and I can talk more about how we partner with those. And we have a good selection of clothes which coordinate with one another so you can choose multiple things from the same range. And because we're keeping them all in circulation, for around about the same amount of time, you'll always be able to come back and choose from these ranges. Um, so it feels quite like shopping and yet it's still sustainable. And it just takes away the the randomness that I think you can get sometimes with secondhand shopping. Mm. Yeah. And I just going back to what you said about the, um, the kind of core ingredients, I've just been writing something, looking at, at those, you know, the, um, the classic guidance for how do you grow your, business or grow your market share so it comes down to price quality convenience and excitement and then I think what's happening now is that people are getting switched on to being more sustainable in their behavior but those things are still essential so it's kind of building an extra layer of sustainability um, features around that so instead of price it's now about value and affordability Mm -hmm. So it's sort of building out from these core features, but thinking about how to um, bring in the circular and the sustainable aspects and and still meet those. Absolutely. And I think we're still in a point where 
we're almost having to explain that that's what we're doing. And I think, you know, this is a challenge and we may come into challenges later, but this is the challenge for us at the moment with the circular economy that once you've, when you're building these businesses, it becomes a bit, it's like, it's a no brainer. Well, of course, circularity is more convenient. Circularity is better value. Circularity is, um, means that you're, that's, there's quality baked in because if something's not high quality, it's not going to last. It's not going to be emotionally durable. It won't be something that people want for a long time. Um, but people are still quite new to the circular economy. People still aren't quite, it's not in their psyche. It's not embedded yet. And so you're still having to explain all these benefits because people don't automatically go, oh, well, it must be. Um, and I think that's one of the biggest challenges that we have, that it, it's obvious once you're, once you're in the circular economy, it's really obvious that it brings with it all of these benefits. But for now, we have to call out in every marketing campaign and, you know, every communication. And did you know that rental is better because it's convenient? And did you know? And, and that's mm -hmm. hard at the moment. That's that, you know, because you're almost overselling. Um, but it's, it seems a shame not to help people understand all of these, all of these benefits. Mm. And people's perceptions are different, aren't they? Let's talk about the brands and, um, you know, what's in it for them. Did they did they get this concept from the off or was it hard sell? Um, and how, um, how does it work for them in terms of um, the, the insights that they get from being part of a subscription service? So probably worth going back a step, which is to say that when I set up the Little Loop, what I didn't want it to be was an add-on, like a bolt-on to the fashion industry. You know, I didn't want to set up a little business which – and I've run alongside the fashion industry, flying in the face of it a little bit and trying to do something completely different because I didn't feel like that was where I would have the most impact. And impact is really core to what we're trying to do here. We're not, it's not just a mummy business, you know, to make me a bit of cash on the side. It's genuinely to try and change the way an industry works. So it was always a goal of mine to partner with the brands. And we did so from day one. And what I mean by partner with them is rather than wholesaling stock, which is what the majority of rental businesses do, and it's a good way to get started. Um, but rather than wholesaling the stock, we, the brands own it. We store it so that we can have it centrally located, mostly for sustainability, so we can ship it all out together. We don't want packages flying all over the country. Um, but they own it, and then they take a share of the rental revenue. So every time a garment rents, we have built um, bespoke technology which rent which tracks every item tracks every day that it rents for and then calculates the share that the brand has earned and they take a share of that daily rental cost essentially um, and along with the money they also take data and um, they so we we help them to understand first of all how long their garments are lasting how long are they renting for and you can compare them on a kind of garment type basis fabric etc um and also we give them kind of anecdotal evidence like well actually this particular navy fabric has got a nylon fraying issue and it gets a fuzz very quickly or these jogging bottoms have actually shrunk and we've had six pairs of them and they've all come back shrunk in the same way and what has been incredible has been every single brand we've spoken to was not only enthusiastic for this um but leapt, leapt in pretty much with two, you know, with, with both feet. Not, I mean, 80% of the brands we've approached have said yes, and they've leapt in with both feet. Other brands have said, maybe in a year or two, we're not quite big enough, or we've got a few other projects going on, but we've not had anybody say, this is a ridiculous idea. We absolutely don't care about sustainability and we don't want to get involved. Um, you know, I think 
we are approaching predominantly ethical and sustainable children's wear brands. So they already have that in their psyche. But what's been amazing is to find out that that's not just a marketing gimmick. These brands genuinely want to, they do want to be more ethical and sustainable. And, you know, we are asking them to adopt a really quite different business model and to find a way to account for that and to build it into their processes and things. And that's not easy. Um, and they're all making it work, which is which is fantastic. And they've been grateful for the data and they've taken action on the data. Um, and and that's, you know, that it's going to get more sophisticated as we get more data, we have more customers and we have more products. But for now, it's already starting to make a difference. And, and yeah, the brands have been fantastic. Um, they're very engaged. Um, and I think they quite enjoy it. <laughs> uh, and, we're, you know, we're starting to do co-marketing with them, which is, a, a, I think, a sign of the fact that they are, that they're um, now really fully on board, that they're, they're prepared to put it out there. We publicly, you know, we are partnering with this business. We are doing rental. Um, and where I think some of them, to start with, were ever so slightly concerned about cannibalization, would rental, um, you know, would it cannibalize their sales? I think they've all come to realize that it doesn't, it either attracts a different type of person or actually we have some people rent and say, I love that thing so much that I went and bought it from the company and then I've sent it back to you and I'm renting something different now because I wanted. So there's an element of try before you buy as well. And it's not a, a massive element because most people don't want to be buying lots of things. That's why they're renting. Um, but it certainly doesn't appear to be cannibalizing sales for our companies at this point, hopefully. <laughs> And what about trends with your customers? Um, you know, are you noticing types of uh, feedback or are you starting to notice new kinds of customers engaging with you? Um, because I think over the pandemic and the lockdown, there's, there's certainly been a lot in the press about people's change in mindsets and people being much more open to making lifestyle changes to be more sustainable more aware of their carbon impact and so on yeah i think i mean definitely we are hearing that people are making more conscious choices more conscious consumerism is is starting to become it's becoming more normal um i think it's fair to say that that is stronger amongst the younger generation so people probably in their teens and early 20s are probably slightly further ahead than, of, of people in their 30s and 40s which is our target market uh, like you know kind of 24 to 44 really is our target market um and but they but there is there is a shift i think what's been fascinating has been that we don't really have our type of customer um i have one fabulous customer she's one of our brand ambassadors and she lives in um a caravan on um like a communal site with lots of other people who is an eco community is the best way of describing it. She loves rental because she doesn't have a lot of space for children's clothes. So she has a small selection from us, which she wears, and then she swaps them out when she needs to. Um, and yeah, I have people who rent from me because they love children's clothes and they want to be able to change, you know, they, they want their children to look beautiful and they recognize the value and the convenience of doing it this way. Um, and they're much more kind of mainstream, I think you would describe them as. Um, you know, I have a, there's a real range. I think what is shared between them is that they all describe sustainability as the main driver but then they all recognize a different kind of sub factor as to why it makes sense for them um and it goes back to what we were saying before about there are so many reasons to do it to, to use circularity full stop to be more circular that i think it does appeal to a really wide range of people it makes it harder for us because it's not like we have one niche group to market to <laughs> um 
but I think I would probably say that we're starting to get more mainstream, um, more mainstream um, customers coming on board. Um, but it very much depends on how we're marketing and what we're marketing and, and you know, how, how we're talking about it. We got a piece in the sun, um, which was unsolicited. I didn't, you know, it was, it was completely um, it came from nowhere. And, and it was all about how renting saves thousands of pounds. And we suddenly got a rash of new subscribers that I assume are people who are value seekers. Um, and yeah, if we got a piece that was more about our environmental um, credentials, and I could, I'd expect that we get a different type of person. So it's quite hard to generalize at this point. Um, but it's, it's really fascinating. <laughs> yeah, it sounds it. It's, and um, yeah, I think all those different threads that you could pull to uncover more about what what's driving behavior change and how how you can build on that or what that leads to with, with conversations they're having with other people um and you know all mm. the word of mouth marketing that that's Definitely. probably happening out there and you um you know as well as the rental option that is extending the lifetime of clothing because you're doing all the reuse and caring for it do you do anything to help to encourage people to care for clothes whilst they've got them to help them, um, you know, wear better, last longer and so on. Yeah, I'm glad you asked that, Catherine, because I think what we identified really early was that we had an opportunity and a bit of a platform for um, just educating people more broadly about how they can look after their clothes. It, it, it seems to be kind of accepted that um, wearing something once of fashion is bad, but if you destroy your clothes through lack of care, that's okay. Um, and I think that partly comes just because we're so busy. Um, and there's just this increasing narrative of convenience when it comes to everyday things like laundry. You know, nobody wants to spend time doing their laundry. We all have a laundry machine and we have liquid tabs and we we don't think about those things anymore. And as a result, I think people increasingly don't look after their clothes in the way that perhaps our parents and grandparents' generations did do. Um, and I have heard a lot, but my kids trashed their clothes. And, you know, kids are hard on clothes and, and none of us want, and I don't stifle my kids' creativity and my kids climb trees and they roll in mud and all of that. But I think what we've forgotten is actually it's very easy to get those stains out. You just have to put a tiny bit more effort in. So what we what we realised through what we were learning ourselves through the stain removal and through, through the condition that we were seeing clothes in was that we could we could help to teach people a little bit about that. Um, and we don't do it in a guilt, guilt um, kind of, we don't want to make people feel guilty if they don't look after their clothes. Um, but we want to show again how easy it is to do it. So we do kind of a series of short, very short, very absorbable videos and things like that. And we have tips on our website and stuff, which is just, if you just wash this, rinse this in cold water before you put it in the washing machine, you're going to get out 90% more stains than if you put it on a hot wash. And it's just things we've forgotten and things that the day, the information is just not out there. So we thought it was a very easy way for us to have a broader impact. Um, and we don't need to do it. You know, uh, people do tend to look after their rented clothes very well. Um, it is stain, you know, stain insured and we can get the stains out ourselves. But I think we do it more for people who aren't renting, really. We do it just because we have a platform. We have followers on Instagram. Many of them aren't renting with us. But if we can just help them keep mm. their clothes in circulation for a bit longer than we know our impact. You know, it's like a multiplier effect for the impact that we can have. And it's fun, you know, I actually really enjoy it when somebody goes, oh, thanks so much for that stain removal tip. I got this out. And, and you know, it's actually really rewarding. People really do quite enjoy it. We're all, we're all a bit geeky at heart, I think. Um, so yeah, that's, that, that's something we've been trying to do. And we actually did, um, we did a clothes swap at a festival the other week. We ran a clothes swap 
um, again, really just to kind of get the broader word out there that swapping clothes is fun. It wasn't, it wasn't, we didn't make any money from it. It wasn't a business thing. And we had a wonderful seamstress come along to show people how you can alter and repair clothes very easily as well. So we do a bit of that. We do repair tutorials, like how to embroider a star over a hole in Charles T-shirt or a stain or whatever. So it's it's all about making these things easy, accessible, enjoyable, and helping people to realize that clothing should be valued. You know, clothing has a story behind it. Clothing, and, and you know, that's the story of your child who's worn it, but it's the story of the person who put hours into making it and who put hours into growing the cotton and the person who designed it. And, you know, the, there is a real story behind every garment. And I think we unfortunately got ourselves trapped into the cycle of thinking that items were cheap and therefore disposable and therefore we forgot about that value. Mm. But actually, if going back to what you said before, if you spend a little bit more by something that's better quality, where the workers have been treated better, where the cotton is organic and therefore grown better... And we know that we can repair it or remove the stains from it. Therefore, it becomes more worth spending a bit more money on it because it's going to last a bit longer. It becomes this virtuous cycle mm. instead of a kind of cycle of a spiral of decline where it's like, buy it cheap, don't look after it, doesn't matter because it didn't cost me any money, throw it away. So we're trying to take it away, go in the other direction, trying to help people to value things rather than see things as disposable. Mm. Yeah, and I think, you know, the repairing and and caring for videos they translate to every age of yeah clothing user don't they so it's Completely, not just helping yeah. keep children's clothes in in use for longer but helping people think about how they can um you know keep keep their own clothes in better condition and it reminds yeah. me again of patagonia and one of their slogans on the Warnwear site is the scars tell the story so yeah encouraging you that even if what you're about to buy that's pre-used has some uh, you know, wear or um, a repair or whatever on it. That means somebody's been out there and had an adventure. So it's kind of making the garment cooler than than the absolutely, the brand absolutely. New one. And, we, and we've discussed before, Catherine, haven't we? And I think you gave me this brilliant idea that you know, could we put little badges in in our garments to say, you know, this this mm. has had one, this has been worn by one little adventurer or that two, you know, because I think. So are you um, are you th- doing th- that then? Not yet, but we right. want to, we will okay, do. Okay, right. I, you know, I think definitely want to go down that route of telling the story of, of the items and I think in time we might even do it online um you know so that you can scan your item and you can see maybe not the names maybe not even the photographs but a little story and at the festival we were at when we did the clothes swap part of the condition of being able to swap an item was that you had to write a story about the item you were donating and what we found was really interesting there were two things that were really interesting one was people loved doing it and they put loads of energy into it um, and then when people actually swapped that garment, they loved reading it. And, I, you know, people were saying, I couldn't choose between these two things. And so I went for the one with the better story. Wow. Um, and what was the other thing that we learned? I can't think what it was now, but it was it was really brilliant. And, and you know, we, we, we just enjoyed seeing people putting that in. Oh, sorry. The other thing was that it meant we didn't get people just bringing stuff that they didn't care about. You know, they donated beautiful items that really meant something to them and they you know you could see they put effort into it and you could see they cared about the item and they donated it because of that and then you got the sense that the person who had taken that item would therefore treasure it more and look after it more because they recognized that it was an important and treasured item of clothing so again it's this virtuous virtuous cycle of storytelling and value um, and understanding the value behind something because you know we, we are storytellers as creatures and I think we 
we understand things better through the medium of stories and through the mediums of human lives rather than something which comes off a rack with 50 others of exactly the same item that look you know you don't even think about the story behind it so we definitely will adopt that I don't know how long it will take us to do it because there's there's really only me now and um and I don't have a, a huge amount of time but definitely definitely we'll go there yeah, I think you're right. The the stories are so powerful, aren't they? And mm. particularly the stories of the workers and so on, and um, you know, which is really hard to get across. Yeah. Mm. So there's just so many aspects that you know it'd be it'd be a kind of a, a mini book, wouldn't it, behind each garment yeah. if you were able to tell all the good stuff. Absolutely. Um, and you know, thinking about the 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 trends, and there has been quite a lot in the press recently about rental of clothing and some people eulogizing about it and some people um saying well it's you know it's a it's just a way to create rebound um you know is there is there anything that you'd say on that front in in terms of um whether it's is it suitable for certain types of clothes and not others or is it just about uh being Make, making sure there's a system where things are able to be used over and over again so that there is much more use from the materials and the energy that's gone into making the clothes. There's a lot there, Catherine, I think. Yeah, and again, we've kind of chatted about this briefly before because of uh, that article that we'll, <laughs> we'll talk about in a bit. But um, I mean, I think the first thing to say is we have to be careful that rental doesn't just become a replacement for fast fashion. So I think it's really important that um, when we're using rental, we're thinking it of thinking of it as a way, as you just said, to to reuse items and to give them more life. And so it's not a it, you know the idea is not that we simply churn through more and more clothes um, because we can rent them because it's cheaper. Um, I think whenever people are using it, they, they should be thinking this is a way to be more sustainable. And and then if you apply that to different scenarios, I think you can see how it would work. So I think it's always about applying it to your own particular circumstance and thinking, in my circumstance, does renting make more environmental, economic, convenient sense than buying something secondhand um, or buying something new and just using it for a long, long time? But we almost always must be thinking, what is the best way to meet this need in, you know, in a way which keeps this garment in in the longest way we can do and I think you know where it's been rental's been compared unfavorably to um buying um for an item which you ought to keep yourself for many many years study yeah and the fact and that I, the customer I, was I going to the store to collect them as well you know how how yeah <laughs> what because, kind because of scenario that, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. exactly exactly so you know the idea that you might rent jeans um and kind of and keep renting a new pair every few months rather than buying a pair and keeping them for years well yeah of course that doesn't make sense um of course environmentally that doesn't make sense but if you're the person who needs to have the latest jeans shape and you were going to be buying a new pair of jeans every couple of months then think about renting them mm. because you can send them back and someone else can have them so i think you know it's about your own habits and it's about recognizing where rental can make your habits better and more sustainable and in the back of your mind thinking but maybe I ought to be possibly changing my habits to be a little bit more sustainable as well um, and you know children's clothing baby clothing it is a no-brainer I think personally children do grow very quickly so you know you are only going to have those clothes in the closet for a certain amount of time mm. and 
whilst people will say, but I can sell them on, as we've discussed, resale is very haphazard. Um, I know, I mean, I have some beautiful items of clothing that are currently for sale on a resale site. They've been on that site for four months now and they haven't sold mm. and they're sitting in a cupboard downstairs. And now I'm obviously sustainably minded. I'm not going to throw them away. I will find a way to, to get rid of them. They may go to charity and because they're in good condition, hopefully they will sell. Um, but I know a lot of people, if those clothes haven't sold and they're sitting in the cupboard and they need the space, they might just throw them away. Mm. And, and that's where the risk comes in with just, you know, the standard linear, maybe I'm going to resell it model. Whereas if you're renting, you know you're going to send them back, you know they're going to get more use. So for something like children's wear um, or baby clothing, you know, it makes it does make a lot of sense. But it's about understanding your habits. If you're an avid reseller and you have an amazing technique and you know you can always get money for them and you know that they'll go on to get a, a second life, then resell, don't, don't rent. Um, so, yeah, I, I, think, I think rental has got a huge place. And I think I see a world where everyone has rental as one of the tools in their fashion arsenal, where they'll use rental combined with secondhand, combined with purchasing new from sustainable and ethical brands, um, and create a well-balanced wardrobe that works in their particular scenario. And they'll rent the things that it makes sense to rent and they'll, you know, they'll buy secondhand the things that make sense to buy secondhand. Um, yeah. And, and like you say, for most people, renting and not having to worry about what to do with it afterwards is just so much more convenient and so much um, less guilt-inducing. Guilt so, yeah. you know, for, for those people who aren't avid eBay marketplace people you know it just makes absolute sense doesn't it it does and so in terms of plans for the future charlotte um is there anything exciting coming up that you want to tell us about <laughs> we've we've mentioned the um the stories of the clothes um what else might you be able to um to divulge <laughs> so. uh well we're, we are actually relaunching our website this week which is exciting in itself albeit it's nothing it's we're not changing the service it's just We've rebranded it. We've made it look a little bit more modern. We can, you know, we can now properly merchandise our site. So it's it's more of a it's it's more akin to a normal shopping experience. And I think we've been very keen to to make it feel seem feel very much like a normal shopping experience. Um, you know, the elephant in the room with rental is that people still quite can't quite get out of ownership, and it feels weird that you're getting something but you don't own it. So. If we can make as many other things as, as close to shopping as possible, you know, we hope that that is then the only thing that they need to get used to. Um, we are having having talked a lot about resale and said it's, you know, saying it's not the panacea. Um, we are looking at introducing resale alongside rental. Um, but what we were trying to do is do that in partnership with brands. So um, peer to peer resale, I find, you know, incredibly, as I say, time consuming and haphazard um, and, and inconvenient. But what we'd like to do and what we're talking to our brands at the moment quite a lot about is create a, a system for resale, which is almost like leasing things. So you buy something, but it's guaranteed that it will be taken back and it will be done in such a way that we have all of its data. Um, we essentially, as soon as you want to send something back, we create automatically create a listing for it. You send it to us. We sell it. You take a share. The brand takes a share. We take a share. And it's we're trying to build a system which makes resale less haphazard, which means that the garments are more likely to carry on to have a better, a longer life um, and which makes it easier for consumers ultimately. Um, so we don't want to, we're not going to get rid of rental. Rental is going to be very much our mainstay. 
Um, but we see a future for resale and also to resell our rented items when they get to the to a certain point in their rental cycle um, where it, economically we can't afford to keep renting them out because they maybe need more repair than we can afford to, you know, with our mm. margins. You know, I think ultimately that's the other thing that people don't speak about with rental is it is quite expensive to run a rental service. It does cost money to launder and uh, to repair clothes and to try and keep the cost as low as possible for consumers so that it's it financially stacks up, our margins are very, very slim. So once a garment gets to a certain point in, it li- in its life cycle, you know, our, our environmental impact could be greater if we could afford to keep garments in circulation for six, seven, eight times because they would last that long, but we can't afford to do that. So we will then resell them. And you know what? If actually they live on again, that person can send them back to us and we can resell them again. So we can almost keep the rental service going. It's just it becomes resale. So a hybrid essentially is what we're trying to get to. And again, it plays to what I've just said about my vision being that everyone should have, I think, an aspect of rental, aspect of secondhand, aspect of high quality, sustainable ethical clothing in their wardrobe. And what we'd like to do is become the service where you can come to get at least two thirds of that. Mm. Yeah, that sounds interesting. It'd be be good to see how it develops, you know, whether people go for both options or... Um, you know, tend to focus on on one or the other. And so over the time since you started The Little Loop, Charlotte, what what things have you struggled with or what surprised you in the process of building the business? Um, I think what, I mean, to be very candid, because that's what these things are for, isn't it? <laughs> uh, we've probably struggled the most with growth. I think I've, I've referred a few times to the fact that circular economy is not quite in the psyche yet. It's not in the in the you know the the, the mass psyche yet, and I think rental is still there are still misconceptions about it, and people still perceive it to be well. I rent a wedding suit, or I could rent a dress, um, but renting everyday stuff, you know, it's we're still not quite there with people, and it's it, you know it's no wonder it's a big shift. What I've been surprised by, positive, like you know positively surprised by has been um how loyal and how engaged our customers are so when we get customers they stick with us um you know they really seem to love it and not everybody obviously but you know we have an incredibly high retention rate um people just get into the groove and they keep doing it and they keep renting you know they're lovely they send us really kind messages um if they love it then other people will love it too. We just need to get the word out there. So so that's where we're at now, just trying to get the word out as much as possible and help people to understand the benefits so that they'll take that plunge because once people do take the plunge, they do tend to stick with it. Mm. And yeah, that's a very positive message, isn't it? Um, mm. And um, yeah, I think the more the more people start to consider different ways of doing things and then perhaps talk to somebody who's doing, who's renting you know, a completely different product, and, it, you know, mm. it, it's just about it becoming the new normal, isn't it? In the same way as reusable carrier bags became the new normal quite quickly after a tax was introduced. Absolutely. So it just it just needs a little tipping point. And I always like to ask people to share their top tip um, for anybody thinking about starting a circular business or going more circular with their business. So from what you've learned so far, what top tip would you share, Charlotte? Um. If I can just give one, I think it would be knowing your values and sticking with them. Um, so circular business are not going to be immediately, well, depending on your business model, 
Um, you know, I think if you're certainly renting high fashion, you know, thousand pound dresses, your margins can be very, very healthy. Um, but when I set up this business, I wanted to do something which was the most sustainable thing I could possibly do. So I was never going to rent out high fashion and even for children, because to me, those clothes are not needed. Um, but there's been many times where I've thought, oh, but if only I rented out like, you know, sequin party frocks for kids that cost £300, my margins would be so much better. Um, and then investors would see that my margins were so much better and all of this would be so much easier. But then I go back to my values and I remember that actually that's not what I'm here for. I'm not here to make an enormous profit. I'm here to have an impact. And that means we do need to make a profit. It means we do need to have healthy margins because we do have to attract investments so we can scale. And we're not going to have an impact if we remain a small business. Um, so it's a balance. But my values keep me true to the balance and keep me on the right side of it and make sure that, um, you know, I'm not going to throw it all in um, to go down the more profitable route um, just because, you know, that's easier or because it's easy to get investments. And actually, because you can articulate it in terms of values, you actually then find that when you do find people who want to invest in you, they are doing it for the right reasons and they're doing it with their eyes open and they know who you are and they know where you want to take the company. And um, I spoke with a group of investors recently um, and some of them wanted to take the company in one direction and they were all in the room together and, and the others said, no, 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 we see you. We know what your values are. We, if, you know, we'll support you to go the right way, to go the way that you want to go. And it, that was really eye-opening because I realised I had communicated my values because they were there at the heart of the business and it was it was great to know that other people could get behind those. But I think if you don't know what those values are when you set out, you you know, you, you could take your business in a, in a very different direction and maybe not the one that you want to go in and wake up one day and be like, actually, that's not the business I wanted to build. Mm. Yeah. And so, Charlotte, um, another thing we always ask people to do is either recommend a future guest for the programme or describe their favourite circular economy example. <laughs> it's quite hard this one because I'm in an amazing network called In The Loop um, which is full of circular economy founders and it's full of some really inspiring people who are also working really hard and so I decided to mention them but not pick single any single one okay. of them out because it didn't feel right um, but I do have an old friend um, who I did a ski season with actually who has set up a fabulous little business and I say little at the moment but who knows what it's you know where it's going to go and it's actually a community um it's a community organization for circularity in the ski industry in the French Alps it's called one tree at a time but what they've also now started to do is um run a community ski clothing library for people who live locally to use so that you don't have to own all of the equipment for clothing, for, for climbing and skiing and, you know, all of the different activities you might want to do, you can rent it from their, from their library. And they're huge advocates of circularity. So, yeah, one tree at a time. I think they're fantastic. And Gavin Fernie-Jones, who runs it, I think he'd make a great guest. Great stuff. So I've scribbled down some notes there and um, I'll probably ask you for an introduction. Um, but, yeah, that's, <laughs> that sounds great. And lastly, Charlotte, how can people find out more and get in touch with you and... Um, explore what the little loop has to offer um, well you can have a look at our new website um, which is at thelittleloop.com um, and there's contact details on there please do follow us um, on LinkedIn or um, Instagram or Facebook and I think Catherine will be sharing the links um, but the little loop clothing on Instagram is our is our handle 
Um, and you can get in touch with me, uh, um, charlotte at thelittleloop.com anytime. I'm, I love chatting to people just generally. Like, even if you want to say, this is awful, like, I hate it. If you're going to tell me why and justify it, that's fine. Because, you know, we're, we're really open to, I'm really open to feedback. That's what helps us develop. So, yeah, any of those methods, please do check us out and, and, and do give us feedback. You know, if you think, well, I like it, but if only they did it this way, there's nothing more valuable than that feedback. So please um, throw it my way. <laughs> Excellent. Thank you. And I'll put all those links in the show notes at circuiteconomypodcast.com. Good luck with the next phase of the little loop. Thank you very much. It's been a pleasure. Thanks for having me on the show. I was struck by Charlotte's focus on convenience for the customer and on gaining feedback to understand how to improve both the offer and the process. Sustainability factors are rising up the agenda, but people still want the basics. Charlotte related this to what Frederick Hertzberg called the hygiene factors in his theory of motivation. That theory is more usually applied to job satisfaction, and I remember that from my industrial engineering training back in the 1980s. For children's wear, Charlotte said it has to be high quality, it has to be great value, and it has to be convenient. So you have to meet those criteria first, and then all those people wanting to be green will consider which brand is the more sustainable and use that to inform their choice. This is a new kind of service, one that's evolving and disruptive. It's crucial to keep learning more about why people want to rent and to avoid potential distractions in trying to meet a wide range of other customer requirements. I like Charlotte's point about the importance of being clear on and staying true to your values and your why, the reason you're doing this in the first place. A while ago, I wrote an article on how to use the Japanese Ikigai philosophy to guide your business purpose. I'll put a link in the show notes at circuareconomypodcast.com. Last time, I mentioned that I'm working on a couple of articles challenging the false solutions we're seeing, initiatives that are circular but aren't improving sustainability. The first article's up on the website now in the blog section. Head over to rethinkglobal.info if you want to sign up for our occasional newsletters so you can always get to see our latest work. I was invited back to support the latest UNSSC Circular Economy course, this time giving webinars on two separate modules. The first session was a double bill with Brian Bauer of Algramo, the reusable grocery, grocery packaging solution. And in the second one, Sandra Goldmark, the author of Fixation, joined me to talk about how you can go circular in your own lives. I've created a circular changemaker toolkit based on the flywheel concept developed by Jim Collins, the author of Good to Great. Both Brian and Sandra are previous podcast guests, so it was brilliant to involve them in the UNSSC course. So there you go another episode of the Circular Economy podcast. Thank you to our guests this week, Charlotte Morley of The Little Loop, and thanks also to Tamsin Chislett of On Loan for introducing us to Charlotte. You can find out more and follow Charlotte Morley and The Little Loop on social media, or go to the website thelittleloop.com. As usual, you can check out the other links we mentioned in the show notes at circulareconomypodcast.com. If you're looking for episodes on a particular circular economy strategy or for a market sector, 
or specific countries, check out our interactive podcast index. There's a link on the podcast homepage at www.circulareconomypodcast.com and every episode includes an interview transcript. Don't forget that you can help make the circular economy happen too, with the choices you make at work and in your everyday life. Buying pre-used, keeping what you have for longer, repairing it and making sure it has another life. And you can help spread the word. Talk about the circular economy and help other people find this podcast by leaving us a rating and a review on your podcast app. Email a screenshot of your review to podcast at rethinkglobal.info and we'll give you a shout out on the show. If you'd like to learn more about the circular economy, why not go back and listen to episode one and two or buy the new edition of my award-winning book, A Circular Economy Handbook, How to Build a More Resilient, competitive and sustainable business, which takes you through the concepts and practicalities with lots of real examples from all around the world. The Circular Economy podcast is brought to you by Rethink Global, helping you succeed with circular. You can find information on our talks, workshops, coaching and advice and circular economy resources at www.rethinkglobal.info or connect with me, Catherine Wheatman, on LinkedIn. If you like what you're hearing, please hit subscribe, and we'll see you next time.